This morning's sermon text is Romans 10, 14 through 21. Romans 10, 14 through 21. I'll be reading verses 9 through 21. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I want to begin today by asking some questions. Why are there so many more believers per capita in the United States than in the small Muslim country of Tunisia? Why is it that there are more believers from believing families than from unbelieving families? Can someone become a Christian and be saved without hearing about Jesus? Is there a possibility of being saved without knowing or hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can someone be saved if they don't hear the gospel, but they obey the revelation they have received? through the natural world. If someone obeys the light that he or she has received, can they be saved? I I think Paul answers those questions today, but let's just dive right into the text. And the first truth I see is that we must hear and believe in the gospel to be saved. That's in verses 14 and 15, really 14 through 17. Uh, Lucas read uh, verses 11 through 13 of Romans chapter 10. Paul teaches there that salvation is open to all who call upon the Lord. 
God offers salvation to all, but you must call upon him to be saved. You must ask him. You must turn to him. But then in verses 14 and 15, Paul says there's four steps that are necessary to call upon the Lord, for the Lord to save you. There are four steps that must be followed. And the first is, you won't call on the Lord to save you unless you believe in him. Well, that, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If, if a small child, our grandchildren have done this, if they, if they wedge themselves in where they get stuck in the room and they can't move, they call out, don't they? Mommy or daddy, come, come help me. They, they believe in their mom and dad, so they call on their mom and dad, and they, and they help this little child get unstuck. If I want someone to save me, I don't say, Buddha, help me. Muhammad, help me. Why not? I don't believe in them. We don't, we don't call on anyone if we don't believe in them. So, so the, the first point is just very easy to understand. You won't call on Jesus to save you unless you believe in him. Second, you can't believe in someone unless you've heard about him and know something about him. Again, that's just a matter of common sense, isn't it? Someone said to me last year, one of our relatives, she said, what do you think about the Twilight movies? I had nothing absolutely to say. <laughs> For to the person's utter shock, I had never even heard of them. So I had no idea what they were talking about. So I had no opinion about these movies I'd never even heard of. Well, you can't believe in Jesus if you haven't heard of him and you don't know about him. To be saved, we, we need to know the truth about Jesus. We must know he, who he really is. You can't be saved if you don't know that Jesus is God incarnate, that he lived a perfect life, that he was crucified for our sake and our salvation, that he was risen from the dead so that if we call on him, we're spared from our sins because he took our sins upon himself. Many people in this world have never heard the name of Jesus. Surprisingly, more and more people in our country may have heard his name, but they don't really know the truth about him. We can't believe in Jesus if we haven't heard about him, and that means hearing the truth about him. That brings us to the third step. You won't hear about Jesus unless someone tells you about him. So the, the only way I heard about the Twilight movies, you know, the person filled me in a little bit. They told me a little bit about them. Now, this is what God has ordained regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has planned it that we would hear about Jesus through those who tell us about Jesus. Now, of course, you might think of a situation where someone has been saved through reading Scripture, through reading through reading the Bible. But of course, if anyone has a Bible in their own language, there have already been people who've gone and told that culture about Jesus. That's true in English, isn't it? We have a Bible in English because people have told and announced that gospel to those who are English-speaking. 
So I, I just want to step aside here and just say something, a quick word to parents. Because parents, you have the great responsibility and you have the great privilege to be the primary persons who tell your children about Jesus and about his salvation. What a great privilege and joy that is. God could have directly told them about Jesus, but he uses us, doesn't he? He uses us to tell other people about the Lord Jesus and to tell, remarkably, our our children. Preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. That's an unbiblical idea, isn't it? Right? You can't you can't preach the gospel without words. The gospel is a message that has to be heard. Well, that brings us to the fourth step, which we see in verse 15. The good news won't be proclaimed, announced and preached unless someone is sent to preach this good news. If unreached people groups are to hear about the gospel, believers will have to go and tell them about it. That's why Paul says in verse 15, quoting Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The feet are beautiful because we travel with our feet. Their feet are beautiful because the feet go to the ends of the earth to tell others about Jesus. Or they walk across the street to tell our neighbor about Jesus. But there's an emphasis, isn't there, on going. Have you ever considered whether God wants you to go to a cross-cultural people group and preach the gospel? Is that a calling on your life? He doesn't promise if you go that it will be easy, but he does promise he'll be with you and he'll hold you with his righteous right hand and he'll strengthen you. What a great calling this is. What a magnificent calling. What a joy and what a privilege to be called to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who take up this ministry are not celebrated on earth, but they are celebrated in heaven, and they will be celebrated for all eternity. Well, I'm not saying that all are called to go. We we have different callings from God, don't we? We're different people with different callings, but all are called to tell others about the gospel. You know, it's, it's good... It's good when we first meet people to let them know something about ourselves so that they know we're Christian. Maybe to say, you know, I'm a member of Clifton Baptist Church, or just to say, I'm a Christian. So so that when the conversation turns to the gospel, it's not such an awkward transition suddenly, you know, that you've prepared them. From the first time you meet them, they they recognize, oh, this person told me from the beginning something about themselves and their relationship to Jesus Christ. Well, Paul sums up what we find in verses 14 through 17 in verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Faith only comes through hearing the gospel. And the gospel is the message, the word about Christ crucified and risen. So I hope you see how these verses answer the questions I asked at the beginning of my sermon. More people are saved per capita in the United States than Tunisia. Not not just numbers, but per capita, right? More people are saved in the United States because more people hear the gospel in the United States. Tunisia is a Muslim country. The gospel is not freely preached there. The word of the gospel does not have free reign in Tunisia. Satan prevents the hearing of the gospel. You know, that's true too, isn't it? You know, read the New Testament. The New Testament will talk about Satan blocking the proclamation of the gospel. Yes, God is sovereign, but Satan is at work as well. You can't believe if you don't hear. More children from Christian families are saved because children in Christian families hear the gospel regularly from their parents. That's that's the reason why parents can be optimistic about the salvation of their children. That's good news, isn't it? We can be optimistic because God is pleased to use means to save people. And the means is the word of God. The means is the gospel. There's not a guarantee there. I'll come back to that. But I think there's reason to be optimistic. Our responsibility is to ensure that our children hear the gospel and, of course, that we live it out before our children as well. On the other hand, those who have never heard the gospel will not be saved, for faith comes from hearing the gospel. One of the central motives for missions is that those who don't hear the gospel will perish. Unreached people groups need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. Now, someone might object. That's not fair. Why would God condemn those who never heard about Jesus? Now, that brings us back to the very beginning of Romans. That brings us back to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, Paul tells us that all people everywhere know about God, indeed know God, through the revelation that is given through nature. Let, Let me read just some of these verses. But all people reject this revelation. God's wrath rests upon them. Romans 1 Verses 19 through 21. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, There it is. Although they knew God, not savingly, but they knew God. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. All people 
everywhere. They don't need to know how to read and write. All people everywhere through natural revelation, through the natural world, know God. Not savingly, but they know Him. This text makes clear. God has revealed Himself to them. But they don't honor Him as God. And they don't give Him thanks. They don't worship God as the Creator. But they worship themselves as creatures. Instead of worshiping the true God, they worship false gods. So, there is no one. There is no one. There is no one who obeys the light he's been given. No one falls into that category. There is no one who submits to God apart from the gospel. Romans 1.18-32 is part of an argument in Romans 1.18-32 that concludes with the truth that all are sinners, that all fall short. Paul says in Romans 3, There is no one who is righteous. Not even one. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. The idea that those who, have, who haven't heard about Jesus obey or believe in the truth, that's a myth, isn't it? It's a myth that anyone seeks God apart from God's work in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul teaches just the opposite, doesn't he? All people reject the revelation they've received. All people turn towards idolatry. That is why it is necessary for unbelievers to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. I want to look at one other verse that I think teaches the same thing. And that's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Here Paul addresses the Gentiles in Ephesians 2, verse 12. He says, remember that you were at that time, that's before their salvation, when he says at that time before you were saved, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When Paul thinks of the Gentiles, he doesn't think of any of them as saved before they heard about Jesus. Instead, he says, they were cut off from Christ and cut off from Israel. He says they had no hope for eternal life since they were without God and without Christ. He doesn't think some Gentiles were saved before he, they heard the gospel. He says, without hope, without God, without Christ. So we see the urgency of missions in these verses, the urgency of telling others about Jesus Christ. The truth that those who haven't heard the gospel are damned has always fueled the missions movement. It isn't the only reason for missions, but it's an important and crucial reason, isn't it, for people to go out and risk their lives and risk the lives of their children for the sake of the gospel. The Housleys have devoted their life to go to Papua New Guinea to tell the Itutang and other tribes about the gospel of Jesus Christ because they believe 
that apart from hearing the gospel, the Ichutang would not be saved. The gospel is the only way to know and believe in the truth about Jesus Christ and to be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter says in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So I think it's clear. I, I think these texts answer the questions I posed at the beginning. But, but let me note another application, an application for us as Christians from what we read in Romans 10, 17. Because Romans 10, 17 says, faith, faith comes from hearing God's word. Your trust, your trust in God as a Christian grows from hearing the word of God. So, so how's your trust doing? How, how's your faith doing? Is, is your faith sagging? I mean, this text gives us the reason, right? The Bible is the soil for the plant of faith to grow in. So plant yourself in Scripture. Immerse yourself in the Word of God. Faith doesn't grow in a vacuum, does it? Faith, faith grows through means, and the means is God's Word. We grow in faith when we hear the shepherd's voice. That's what John 10 says. We grow in grace as we meditate and luxuriate and feed upon God's Word as we spend unhurried times in God's presence meditating upon His Word. Not just quick times to get it over with and to fulfill our duty, but unhurried times where we hear God's voice. Faith comes from hearing. Well, that brings me to the second truth in these verses. Hearing is necessary for faith, but it is not a guarantee of faith. Let me say that again. Hearing is necessary for faith, but it is not a guarantee of faith. That hearing alone doesn't produce faith is clear from Romans chapter 10, verse 16. Paul says about the Jews of his day, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? The Jews, as Isaiah 53 predicted, heard the gospel, but they didn't obey the gospel that they heard. Now, just a little qualification. When he says they didn't obey, he, he's not thinking of all Jews, is he? He's thinking of most. Obviously, Paul's a Jew and he believes. There are Jews who believed. So this isn't a universal statement. This is a majority statement. Most Jews didn't believe. But they heard. Verse 18 confirms that just hearing the gospel doesn't guarantee salvation. What does Paul say about Israel? And I think verse 18 is about Israel. But I ask, have they... I think that they are there is Israel. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Paul asks, has Israel heard the message? Yes, they have, because the word of the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. 
it's, it's gone to the very ends of the world. Now, Paul doesn't mean by that, he doesn't mean that every single person has heard the gospel. He means, he means by the ends of the earth here that the gospel includes now the Gentiles. It's gone to the ends of the earth in that it's not limited just to the Jews. But now the Gentiles are also included. Picking up really language from Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49. So do you see Paul's argument? If the Gentiles have heard the gospel, if the gospel's gone to the ends of the earth and included the Gentiles, then certainly the Jews have heard it too. But even though the Jews have heard it, they don't believe it. They haven't believed it. We have no guarantee that those who hear the gospel will believe the gospel. We aren't guaranteed that our children who hear the gospel will believe the gospel. We have reasons to be optimistic, but we're not guaranteed, are we? They may hear the gospel and fail to believe in it. Sadly, they may reject the words of life and choose death. That may be true of you in this room. Hearing the words of life and yet choosing death. Indeed, we live in a culture where many have heard the gospel in the United States. Not all, but many, and refuse to believe. Many stop their ears right when we start talking to them and say, I don't want to hear anymore. We don't force the message on others. We can't compel people to believe. Their blood is on their own heads. How tragic it is when those who hear refuse to believe. We weep. And our hearts are saddened by those who choose destruction. Now, I want to go on to the third truth in this passage, but I want to say a parenthetical word here. I want to say a parenthetical word about Paul's use of Psalm 19, about the gospel going to the ends of the earth, in which he cites Psalm 19. Because Psalm 19, the verse that he cites, if you follow me on this well and good, if you don't, Ask me afterwards or ask someone else. But Psalm 19 is speaking about general revelation. The verse that he cites, the gospel going to the end, the words going to the end of the world is in the context of through the natural world, through natural revelation. How can Paul use a verse about natural revelation, the revelation that comes through the created world, the sun, moon, and stars? How can he use a verse about the natural world to speak about the preaching of the gospel. You see? That's a, that's a little bit strange. Is he suggesting, is he suggesting that perhaps natural revelation does save? Certainly not. That contradicts everything he said in these verses, right? We, one thing is very clear, that salvation only comes through hearing the gospel. So why does he use this verse? I think the best answer is this. Natural revelation reaches to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth. And now, special revelation matches general revelation. You see? Natural revelation reaches all people everywhere. But now, gen but now special revelation 
is doing the same through the preaching of the gospel. Now the gospel includes the Gentiles. Now the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Now there will be some from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who will be saved. So the course of natural revelation, that which takes place through the sun, moon, and stars in the created world, is now matched by special revelation. I think that's Paul's point. Well, close parentheses. And if you didn't understand that, I'm happy to talk to you about that. That brings me to the third truth in this passage. God displays his glory by turning things upside down. How does he do this? How are things turned upside down? It's this. The Jews, who were the chosen people, refused to believe. And the Gentiles, who were not the chosen people, did believe. But this was predicted. Moses predicted. We read in verse 19 in Deuteronomy 32 that Israel would be made jealous by the Gentiles. The blessings of salvation were promised to Israel, but Gentiles were enjoying them. The Gentiles had been foolish for centuries because they worshipped false gods. But now Israel had become foolish, and the Gentiles had become wise. God had mixed things up, so to speak, just as Isaiah predicted. Verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. That's the Gentiles. I have been found by those who did not seek me. And I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Oh, the surprising and astonishing sovereignty of God. How great, how mysterious is his mercy. The Gentiles were seeing the beauty and the wonder of Christ, and the Jews were missing it. God in his sovereignty chose that the Gentiles would see it. Don't we see the same story today? Don't we meet people? There are people like this in this church. I'm really one of those people. Wasn't taught the gospel by my parents. But, but they see and they believe because of, not because of their own virtue or their own merit, but because of the surprising sovereignty of God. They see the truth, right? Probably many in this room could say that, that you were not raised in Christian families, but you see. And then we see people raised in Christian families and they don't see. They heard the gospel, but they don't see. The glory and beauty of Jesus is right in front of them, but they don't get it. They don't see it. And they should see it, but they're bored with it. They've heard it so many times. They don't see the glory and beauty of it. That's what God did. He turned on the light for the Gentiles, and they saw the beauty and wonder of Jesus. And the Jews didn't see it. They didn't see the glory of Christ. But that's not the final word, is it? The final word is in verse 21. Paul ends with one more truth. And this is the truth. There's always hope while someone is still alive. I love this truth. There's always hope while someone lives. The chapter ends with an invitation. Paul again quotes Isaiah 65. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Israel 
refused to obey. They were stubborn. They were blind. They were stupid. But the Lord stretches out his hands, doesn't he? And he welcomes them back. Those who have been blind and stupid and have strayed. He stretches out his hands and he says, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the Lord's invitation to all who are far from him. All are invited, all in this room. All are invited, children, older person, all are invited to repent and to come. And the Lord invites you to come to him today and to be refreshed by his presence. And our attitude should reflect the Lord's. No matter how messed up someone's life has been, no matter how long someone has been strained, no matter how blind and stupid really they've been, we invite them to come. As Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So I end with this invitation. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and drink and be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as a church we will continue to have a zeal for the gospel, to go to the ends of the earth. May some in this room Today, answer the call and and proclaim the good news to those who haven't heard it. And Lord, we pray that we may all be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. May our lips and our lives speak of Jesus Christ. May we teach the gospel and live the gospel before our children. And Lord, may we never forget your grace, inviting all to come to Jesus for cleansing for sins and for rest of soul. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.